Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning of the church. This is one of the the more popular passages, probably the most popular passage in Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, 3,000 people have just come to Christ. Pentecost has just occurred. 3,000 people have come to Christ. The church is starting uh, starting to thrive. It's starting, and uh, we see a description of what was occurring in the early church as we look at this passage of Scripture. And we see at least three things that the early church did that made such a powerful impact that it would change the known world and that Christianity uh, would be uh, well over uh, 4 billion people today in, our, in this world, in our culture. So it's amazing. It started with just Jesus, then his disciples, then it grew to 72, and then we see the 3, 000, 120, and then we see the 3,000, and we see what has happened through uh, Christianity. And we start right here, and they, talking about the early church, the, the, the sealing, the birthing of the church, 3,000 have just come to Christ, and what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, the teachings, we're going to talk a little bit more depth about this, but this is basically uh, the New Testament, even though the New Testament hasn't been written at this point. Uh, But it's the teachings of the apostles, those who had spent time with Jesus, those who had received revelation from Jesus. The teachings and the fellowship, and uh, that's a very important word. Uh, There's a Greek word used there called koinonia. This is the first time we see this word used in Scripture. The first time. It's used 20 times in the New Testament. This is the first time. Koinonia. It doesn't just mean uh, drinking coffee and eating donuts after church, uh, but it literally means to participate, to help. Okay? It means uh, the connectedness uh, of the body of Christ, serving and working together with one another. And then to the breaking of bread and prayers, we see worship. Uh, So we see teaching, we see uh, serving and participating, we see worship, breaking of bread, that breaking of bread, when you see that title, almost always is talking about communion, the Lord's Supper. And then we see prayers, and we know what prayers are. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And then it says, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to all as they had need. Why? Because worship was happening. Why? Because they were coming together. They were being taught. They were learners. They were helping. And they were worshiping. John Piper says it like this. He said, uh, missions happen. We send missionaries out because worship doesn't. Because this is worship. The natural overflow of true worship is the gospel is proclaimed worshiping. And so he continues here, the Bible does, and it says, and day by day, attending the temple and worship together, breaking bread in their homes. Literally, they were doing communion in their small group, in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Let me tell you, if we're really worshipers, then generosity is a hallmark of who we are. And that's what was happening in the early church. They were all giving favor. Uh, They were all coming together. And anybody who had need, they were helping to meet those needs, praising God and having favor with all people. And then what does it say? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why? Because they were learning. Number two, because they were serving. They were in koinonia. They were building one another up. They were giving. They were sharing. And number three, they were worshiping. And the Lord added to their numbers daily. 
beautiful passage of Scripture. Now, let's take this apart. Let's look at this just a little bit more deeply. Let's go back to the teachings. Let's go back to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, if you've been at Rock Point very long, you've heard me talk about this before. But what are the most important teachings of Scripture? We call them tenets. And it's that there is a God and you're not him. We all are sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. And God made a way for our forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. He came and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And the Bible said there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So Christ shed his blood, okay? He gave his blood that if we would transfer our trust to what he has done, we might be forgiven We might be atoned or covered by his blood. His righteousness is imparted to us. And he does that in the authority because he conquered sin and death. He died on behalf of our sins. He was placed in a grave. But on the third day, he rose again, conquering the penalty and the power of sin and death. Okay? And so those are essential. Those are what, in Christendom, wherever you go in the world, we have to ascribe for those. So I'm just going to tell you, some of you, I know, um, are looking for another church. God bless you. And um, some of you, maybe you're here looking for a church. Some of you are thinking, this is my last Sunday here. And uh, so I just want to help you. For those of you who are going to be looking for a church, here's where you start. You always start with the tenets. Does this church ascribe to the tenets of the faith? You can't say, well, you know, they do something. No. Those tenets are essential. You're not a Christian if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness, if you don't believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and life, he is the salvation, and that he covers our sin through his blood, not through your deeds, not through your efforts, not because you're so good, but in spite of who you are, he covers it as you put your trust in him. It's by grace we're saved through faith, not of your effort, not of your works, but of what Christ has done okay essential have to get that have to get that okay and so you can't go to church you can't call it a christian church if they don't ascribe to those tenets number two there are important teachings and there's eschatology the coming of christ uh there's the teaching on baptism there's teaching on communion that we will receive today on church government what form of government are you using you're using uh deacon led or pastor led or an elder led or congregation led what those are those are important teachings and we have positions on them we don't say that they're uh, they're essential in the sense of salvation but they're important and if you come to church you have to be willing to say i can embrace that i can live that that's maybe a new position but i can live in authority i can live in harmony and i want to learn more. So the teachings are important. And then the third one's the taste, the music. The music is too loud. The mu- I like hymns better and dress. I don't like the pastor does not tuck his shirt. That just drives me crazy. <laughs> Those are matters of taste. And that's fine. You have one. But can I tell you, when you go to church, you want to start with the tenets and then you want to go to the teachings. And then you can decide if you can handle it if the pastor tucks his shirt in. All right. Or what the music's like. Those are all taste issues. They don't really matter that much, okay? So you never start here. You don't side a church simply because if the pastor wears a robe or not, I hope you don't. You start here with the tenets and the teachings. And then if you want to go to a robeless or a robed church, then that's good for you. God bless you. But just keep those things in order, all right? And so in the church, I don't, you know, the good thing about in the early church, they weren't having those discussions because there weren't a whole lot of choices. Okay, this is it. This is us right here. All right. 
So just remember to always keep things in perspective. So they're going, they're, they're learning. They're learning about the truth of Scripture, about the teachings of Christ. They're learning. And we see that was the first aspect of a follower of Christ in the early church. They were learners. Number two, we see that they were in fellowship, in koinonia. Again, this, just, this isn't just uh, getting, at, getting together and hanging out. This is sharing. This is giving. This is serving. This is participation. You can't experience the koinonia of Scripture at home by yourself. I, I run into people all the time. Oh, yeah, I do church at home. <laughs> yeah, I watch it or I listen to it. You're not doing church. You're just listening to information. See, that's an oxymoron. You don't do church by yourself. It's a community of believers. It's the called out believers in Christ Jesus. And koinonia necessitates other people. You are missing a major principle of scripture if you're simply just listening to messages. Well, all you're doing there is you're just learning something. You're just educating yourself. You're just gleaning more information. And information isn't necessarily transformational. Until you take that information and put it into practice within the body of Christ, transformation doesn't take place. Okay? So, Jesus divide, he, he created us this way, God created us this way, and he designed us to have koinonia, to participate within the body by serving, by sharing, by giving, by doing life different, by encouraging, by supporting. That's what koinonia is. That's why we have small groups, so that you can experience koinonia. The third principle is worship, the breaking of bread and prayers, of prayers. Who who is praying with you? Who prays for you? Who are you sharing your prayer requests with? You know, every week um, we have a time here at 1030 that you can come and pray. And we, we go over all the list of all the prayers that have been uh, given. And we, we pray over those. And uh, last, last Wednesday, once a month on Wednesday nights as well, at 6 p.m., we pray. We, many of you came in here and we prayed for all the needs of our church and all the families and all those who had needs, all those requests. That's important. That's part of worship. That's what we do. And then we move to the breaking of bread. And now, again, this is primarily talking about communion. Now, uh, early on in the church, there was also what they called agape feast that often accompanied it. And uh, if you go back and read 1 Corinthians 11, that's what it's talking about. But communion, the breaking of bread, this is a place where we all come together and we are all completely on equal ground. Doesn't matter how much you make, doesn't matter how old you are, how much you know, we all come before the table of the Lord and grace that has been given through his salvation unites us together and we remember that Christ died on our behalf and he gave us a great gift. Uh, I was reading a, a report on, in the news about this lady, Michelle Stevens, who had uh, severe uh, kidney disease. She had already lost one kidney and the other was going out. And they told her if she didn't get a kidney in the next couple of weeks, they were going to take her off the list because she would be permanently on dialysis. She had already started blacking out. She couldn't go uh, but just an hour or two without the dialysis. Her body was starting to shut down. And they said, we're sorry, but if we don't get a kidney soon, you're going to die. And somebody at her work that didn't know her very well, a man there, heard about it. And he came and he donated his kidney. It was a match. And Michelle now lives. And she said, you know what? Every week I get, we get together and I have a gratitude lunch with him because I recognize I was dying. I was going to die, but he gave me part of his body so that I might live. And so every week I want him to know how grateful I am. That's a picture of communion where we come and we're grateful 
to Christ Jesus for what he has done, that he took our sins and he gave his life that if we would receive it, we might know life. And so we come and we break the bread and we remember. You know, this is the number one question for a long time that I got asked. People get very uh, finicky and... um, uh, chatty. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a bit more positive word. Uh, they have a lot of opinions about communion, you know, and, um, and some of you want to do it every week, and that's why we do it every week at 9.15, and at, at the 11 o'clock, we do it at least once a month, a lot of times twice a month, and uh, some, some small groups, they do it just like they were doing here in small groups at home, and, um, you know, it's the number one question I used to get asked, and, and some people would always be worried to go, Brother Ron, that's my first clue when they call me brother. <clears throat> brother Ron, don't you think we're maybe doing communion a little bit too much? And don't you think that maybe it won't be as meaningful to people if we keep doing it all the time like this? By the way, those people are usually Baptists. And, um, <laughs> and I go, well, yeah, I know. Well, that, that whole prayer thing, when we do it all the time, <laughs> is that hard when we sing or when we read Scripture together? we got to... No, no, but you know, this is different. <clears throat> this is special. I, I think they're all special. And I think it's all about your heart and you preparing your heart to remember, to give thanks, to give testimony of what I believe. And, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, the other one I get, and hey, I'm not, I know some of you, you're probably here, and I'm not picking on you because there's about 100 people who have said this to me. Um, they get kind of worried. They go, Brother Ron, um, you know, are you making sure that all these people are really should be taking communion? Because I think there's some people here that should not be taking communion. I mean, they shouldn't. You know, and the, the Bible talks about that, about people that shouldn't be taking communion. They take it and, and death comes upon them. Well, let me, let me tell you what the Bible really says. You're talking about 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27, when you shouldn't take it in an unworthy manner. Do you know what was happening in that chapter? First of all, um, he, he was talking to believers, by the way. He was talking to Christians. He wasn't talking to lost people. He was talking to Christians. And he was saying, um, you know what? Some of you have come, and you're divisive. You are showing prejudice, and you're showing uh, just a lack of acceptance of people who are poor or from a different people group. And you're participating, and matter of fact, you're using it as an occasion to eat and to drink, and you're drinking a little bit too, com- too much communion wine. Some of you have gotten drunk uh, from your time of communion, and you've kind of warped this all in, and to Jesus, and, and you're, you're, you've decided some people shouldn't maybe be taking it, or they're not, they're not worthy, and you're talking about them, and you're at odds with them. And so you're taking it in an unworthy manner, and he says some of them have gone, have, have gone asleep. He means to die. But who's he talking to? He's talking about the believers who are judging other people or excluding other people because of their race, because of their economic position, or because they just decided they were unworthy. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, you shouldn't be taking communion. He's saying, you need to go make that relationship right. You need to go repent and ask forgiveness before you receive communion. That's what he's talking about. So when you go, I don't think those people should be doing that's he's talking to you you're the one that has an unworthy attitude the one that's looking at people you're looking around don't do that that means you shouldn't take it you need to pray and shut up that's what you need to do all right so it, it's time to bow your heads and close your eyes and and just prepare your heart and remember what christ has done 
and quit worrying about everybody else. Or if you got a, you've got a relationship or you're at odds with somebody, go and confess and ask forgiveness. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about. And no, the Bible never says, and one of the spiritual gifts is the communion police. It, it doesn't say that. It's not a spiritual gift. It's between you and God. It's between them and the Lord, okay? So quit worrying about what everybody else is doing and focus on Christ. It's the attitude of our heart, and that's what Paul is talking about. That's what he's concerned about. It's what we should be concerned about. So it's about us. God, I, I humble myself before you. I know Anthony Capolo told this great story. He said, when I was six years old, the picture came to me so in such a clear manner. He goes, we went to church one Sunday night. We were sitting toward the back of a church, and Right before church started, this this girl slips in in front of us. She's probably 18 or 19 years old. And I was only six or seven, but she was pregnant. And I know she was by herself, so I wondered if she had a husband, even at that point. And at the end of the service, the pastor did communion. And he said, you know, if there's any of you here that have unconfessed sin or sin that you uh, should be, whatever he said, you know, then you should not take communion. And so, by the way, is there anybody here today who's going to receive communion that has not sinned, by the way? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. We, we all have sinned. Here's the good news of the gospel is we've been forgiven of our past. We've been forgiven of our present. We've been forgiven of our future. So what God's looking for is a repentant heart. That's what he's looking for. And so when communion came by, she just waved it. She started to cry, and she waved it away. And the communion tray came to my father, and my mother took it, and then I took it, and he took two. And he reached up to that young lady, and he goes, take it. He did this for you. He did this for you. He said, that girl wiped the tears from her eyes. She took the bread. She received it. I ask you, who was most prepared to take communion at that time? The girl because she was pregnant and who was repentant? Or maybe one who was watching to see that she should, should she have taken it or not? Jesus actually tells a parable about that about the Pharisee who came to pray and then the sinner who came and couldn't even lift his head. What prayer is Jesus hearing? It's about our heart, about our brokenness before the Lord, that my sin, Lord, breaks your heart, but I'm so grateful that you have saved me, you've accepted me, you've declared me clean and righteous in God. Not that I deserve it, but I am so grateful. I humble myself before you and I receive from the table of the Lord that you, Lord, you, your blood was shed on my behalf, not because I earned it, deserve it, but because you love me and I receive it in grace and I'm just humble. And I don't care what the people on my right or left are doing because, Lord, I am worshiping you. And so, Lord, that's what I'm responsible for. And so, God, I, I praise you this day. We're going to have a time right now where we receive. And I want you to prayerfully uh, enter into a time where you examine your heart. Is there someone that you were at odds against? Someone that you need to commit right now in your heart? Lord, I commit to make peace. I commit to forgive. I commit to, Lord, to make peace with. If there's something in your heart that is standing between you and Christ that he's convicting you of, confess that now. If you find yourself being judgmental of others, confess that now and say, Jesus, I I know my spirit is one of condemnation. Forgive me, Lord. I humbly come before you, not because I earned it or deserved it, but because of your grace that flows and that covers my sin, that 
covers my attitude, that covers my spirit. Lord, I commit myself to you. I remember what you've done. I give thanks. That's what the word Eucharist means. It means thanksgiving. I give thanks for the gift of salvation that you've made me your child. And I receive because I am your child on the merit of your great work upon the cross. I'm humbled, Lord. I remember. I receive. I give thanks. I give testimony that you are my Savior. And that it's not by might, but by your spirit. I give testimony of the goodness of God. Of the grace that has been extended to me. That you call me sons and daughters. That you call me a saint, Lord, because I'm covered. And we give you thanks and praise, Lord, this day. Prepare to receive.